Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man who is, frankly, aroused by advanced statistics, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Leave me alone, you bully. <laughs> I was wondering what noise you were going to come up with there. You know, after the, the beep-boop noise, Okay. Um, I thought there might be some sort of hubba-hubba. Is this another listener-submitted one, by any chance? Are you passing no, the this is, again? No, this is straight off the dome. <laughs> <laughs> this is all me, mate, I'm afraid. A vicious, a nasty rumour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we get into the podcast, shout out to Spurs 33's other half, Grace, yeah. who we found out in our latest Q&A for the, for the X-Subs. She bought him a Patreon subscription to the extra inch for Christmas, and he didn't even have to hint. He didn't even have to ask for it. It wasn't on a list. She just independently thought, "I know what my what my beloved boyfriend would want. He wants a subscription to his favourite podcast." And uh, obviously, it was exactly what he wanted. And he's he's thrilled by this. He's absolutely thrilled by his gift. So there you go. One for would, birthday, this yeah. and Christmas, all around. Grace would be an excellent uh, forward player in Mourinho's team because she just decides what's what's the best thing to do and just goes ahead and does it. <laughs> Takes the initiative. I like it. Takes the initiative, yeah. I like it. I like it. So, yes, Grace, we appreciate you. Spurs 33, good to have you on board. Another excellent uh, X-Sub Q&A, I thought, guys. Yep, I love talking to the to the ex-subs. A good good group of people. It's fun. Good it's group. fun bringing bringing back the radio call in. It's it's. Mm. I really like it. It's a good little. Um, it's very. It became very casual, very quick, and I think that's a good little vibe for us to just have a chat with our mates, basically. 
it's quite chassis, isn't it? I like that about it. Um, also, one more thing before we actually get on with the football, uh, we had some we had some merchandise orders this week, um, which I think might be the first of 2021, and it reminded me that we we not really plugged it at all. <laughs> so we have well, we terrible at this. It was so bad at actually marketing our our podcast no we, uh, so we got a couple go of xg hat sales based off plugging that because there was some argument about xg on the timeline that i think that was the last sale before this one yeah absolutely we were, we were stretching that to its absolute maximum <laughs> um so there's an xg beanie that has just come back into stock basically if you go to the extrainch.co.uk and have a look at the shop uh there might be something you like there's some there's some cool stuff there so check it out have a look uh, we, we're talking today after a, a Spurs win in the Premier League, which is very nice, very refreshing. Uh, we beat Sheffield United comfortably, I would say. I mean, in, certainly in terms of scoreline. Um, let's start where we always do with, with team selection. And there's actually, whew, there's quite a bit to talk about. Bardi, what did you think? 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, it was interesting. I, I didn't expect this. Mourinho's been very kind of, it's been very... Uh, consistent with his team selection it was it was interesting immediately people on Twitter just started to get concerned why are we playing three centre-backs versus um, Sheffield United I'm sure we'll get onto this but I, I quite liked it and it was it's always good to see a little bit more of, of, of Roden and the um, Endombele Hjoyberg axis was kind of what I'd been wanting to see so it was great to see those two in tandem um, I was disappointed there was no Delhi on the bench but I think that's probably probably that's probably telling us what the future holds for him. But no, it was an interesting interesting tactical lineup against against a pretty poor Sheffield United team. And Nathan, no Alderweireld. Is that simply a case of sort of using the fact that we were up against uh, a relatively poor side to sort of experiment with the backline? Do you think? Uh no, I don't think so. I think Alderweireld's sort of been missing a bit now. He's clearly well. I guess he's not even third choice. Um, or at least it kind of. I mean, there's an extent to which is like um, Davies is always going to play the left in a back three role with the current squad. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, the thing is that like we sit here on this podcast and we go, I want Roden to get some minutes. I want to see us play Roden, and then he plays Roden. And we go, Why isn't Toby Oliver? You know. So there's there's a bit hmm. of that. Um, obviously, a, a large percentage of the Spurs fan base would rather have seen Dyer not, you know, become fifth choice or whatever. Uh, and while I, you know, again, Davies has got to play that left-sided role. I want to see Roden get minutes. Toby, I think, is our best defender. All three of those together might leave us a little weak in the air. And I think that for for the weaknesses that Dyer ha- does have, uh, and he's played well this season, but the weakness he does have, he has got like a massive heavy head and we defend a lot of crosses you know so mm. I'm, I'm a little worried about uh, about what's happening what's going on with Toby playing against Marine and then missing Premier League action um, but but it's maybe too soon to hold his funeral because um, because there are some sort of tactical reasons why you need to get Dyer in there basically fair enough fair enough I think we'll come back to um, how we deal with crosses and such like uh, a bit later on um question from mark bird who was asking about the change of formation so mark says the three center backs also meant we didn't need huibier and sissoko dropping into a back six and it allowed aurier and regalon to concentrate on their strengths uh he said i know we have the caveats this with this is a very poor sheffield united team but it went some way to repairing some of the anger he felt after the full performance as this is mark's words i think this formation gives us a template that plays to our strengths and it might help us to stop dropping so deep um Bardi, do you think 
343 is a sort of way forward, potential way forward, or was this more of a response to the fact that Sheffield play with a back three themselves? Um, I think I think a little bit of both. I mean, I don't, I don't think Sheffield United are, are that good a team that we really have to worry too much about our formation. I think it was, I think um, Mourinho was testing out a little bit. I'm still concerned about Davies in that left centre back role. I, I'm I'm not sure he's really the presence that we need there. But um, it did allow Reggion, who's found a little bit of form. He started really strong. He started the season really strong, but he has kind of dipped and he he hasn't been great of late. But I thought he was brilliant. I thought he was back to his best against Fulham. And I thought he did another great performance. Again, Aurier was a little bit mixed. He, he scored a good goal, but... Yeah, I, I still don't think he was. I, don't, I still don't think he was that good. But um, we've used three four three before to great effect, and it does allow it does allow us to play two solid midfielders. Get Sissoko out of there as well. Who, for all his qualities, I I still don't believe he's a, a very good centre midfielder. And it does allow us to play three excellent forwards. And I thought Bergvine, who's had a lot of um, criticism as well, I thought he would. I thought he looked good, and I think he's starting to show a little bit of something. And I think the the best thing that happened for Bergwijn is when he came off, Lucas came on, and all of a sudden you had mm-hmm. a, you had like a comparison <laughs> that you could make, and you were just like, Jesus, yeah, he's a much, much better forward than Lucas. Yeah, there was quite the drop-off, mm. wasn't there, when uh, Lucas came on. Um, Nathan, so I'm, I'm kind of I'm reticent to draw too many conclusions from this because, oh my God, Sheffield United are absolutely awful. Really like, bad, man. Such a bad team, yep. so bad. But and Dombele playing central midfield, nice to see, right? Yeah, yeah, really nice, really nice. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to dig this in too hard because I do have some respect for you know Chris Wilder and Sheffield United fans and Sheffield United the football club. But there was a hell of a lot of celebration. Not that they didn't do a good job coming up to Premier League, not that they didn't do a good job staying up for a year, but like there was a hell of a lot of celebration about this team and that manager and like I don't know, they're really bad now. I think overlapping centre backs is a bit of a meme tattoo but anyway let me let me let that go um i really like what this formation does for us it's a bit like three years ago we moved to a three at the back because it was right for our squad and did a hell of a lot for us at the time and it's kind of a similar Mm -hmm. situation now um yeah moves ndombele into a deeper role where he's picking up the ball deeper and and affecting possession in an earlier stage and build up and undoing opposition attempts to press us um, let's Bergvine be sort of the third most attacking player instead of the fourth most attacking player, which is a pretty hard position. You know, considering he was playing up front not that long ago, um, so good for him. Um, let's Regulon have the the freedom to to be you know one of the best <laughs> crossing fullbacks going. Um, gets Ori away from our goal, gets Rosen onto the pitch. Just does a hell of a lot of really nice things for us. The thing is that yeah, I do think that. Um, and we've seen this for the last year and a half is Mourinho likes to play four at the back against four at the back and he likes to play three at the back against three at the back more maybe he wants to play three at the gap three at the back against three at the front but that's beside the point he likes to match up the opposition what I'm hoping is that he not that he wouldn't already know but he sees the the proof of how well that this balances our team and how well we perform we didn't perform incredibly well but we performed well against Sheffield United and hopefully he sees that and he says I'm going to roll this out a little more often. I don't think we can do it week in, week out. <clears throat> Harry B, Alpha and Harry B, who now gets referenced literally every single episode now, made some points on Twitter about how, um, and I think it's exemplified by our sort of our lack of possessional structure, but there's sort of quite a, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, 
it's it's quite easy to sort of second guess there's a, a repeatability um and an obviousness to the the patterns that you attack through when you play a back three and if we play this next game and the game after that and the game after that and the game after that it becomes a fair bit easier to sit up against so i don't think this can just be the way we play every week or it could be for a few weeks and then we've got to change up again that's probably closer to Mourinho style isn't it we we do a thing we'd run it through and then we move on to the next idea um so maybe that's the way or maybe we we just we sprinkle in a few more back threes here and there because i really like a domble deeper i think that's the main mm. thing for me I think there is. Um, I think there can be some variety in in playing a three four three. Like Conte does it, but he does also rely on on his on his wing backs, giving him that kind of a different attacking thing. And he also does have an incredible striker in Lukaku. So I I do think I don't think you do become too predictable in a back three. But uh, I agree with you. I would like to see us use it on occasion. I think we have the players to do that. I thought I thought Roden was excellent. He needs to sort out his um how he wears his socks because no serious <laughs> centre back can wear socks above their knees. It just it doesn't happen. But um, he had a good turn of pace, which is which is good because Dyer doesn't have that, and his ability to come across and cover. He, we saw it against Marine, but you know, caveat that was Marine, and we've seen it again against Sheffield United, but caveat again, it was McGoldrick <laughs> and Sheffield United. So, but I still, I, I think he's, I think he's, um, I think he's a lot better than I than I hoped. So I thought, I think there's, I think there's a bit of a player there. So much I want to pick up on there. There's some really interesting <laughs> points that both of you raised. Um, yeah, I mean. I think Nathan's point is interesting about Mourinho wanting a back four against teams that play a back four, uh, a back three against teams that play a back three. Nathan, do you think that's because um, he simply wants to sort of, he wants to stalemate it out, but knowing that we have Son and Kane, it gives us the extra. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think that's, um, I mean, that's 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 a, that's a reasonable that's a reasonable approach. I think if you if you assume everything else is equal, it's not at the moment. But if you assume it is, then I think that's a reasonable approach. Um and Buddy, yeah, I mean, on Roden, what's interesting is there's been lots of criticism about his on-the-ball work, I've noticed, on social media. Mm. Uh, I think Mourinho was even critical of, of some of his mistakes on the ball. Um, but that didn't come across at all when Nathan and I did that analysis video of Joe Roden. I mean, that was one of his key strengths was his ability in possession. So it was quite surprising to sort of hear people and see people criticising his uh, his footballing ability. And I must admit, maybe I wasn't watching closely enough. I didn't spot too much wrong with his passing out from the back. I think um, I think on this is he's come from the championship. Um, he's he's obviously a good defender, but in the like in the Premier League, I sound like such a sky pundit. But in the Premier <laughs> in the Premier League, in the top areas of the Premier League, there is that little step up you have to make, and you have to be able to be good on the ball. So I think that, I think that's definitely an area he has to improve in. But I I don't look at him and think, oh my God, he's going to take a heavy touch and do what John Stones spent four or five years doing. And it's only now, I mean, the best defenders in the world take time to become like true, true glorious defenders. And, you know, it's not a problem with waiting to the 28, 29, as long as he can defend and he's got that, then, then the rest of it can come slowly, slowly. We just need to be patient. Dyer, I think Dyer's still a few years off being a top-class defender. Alderweireld didn't become a world-class defender until he was 28, 29. So there's time on his side. But what I've seen so far is promising. He's not, he's not like Rob Holding bad or Callum Chambers like level. He, he, there's obviously a better defender in in him there. And 
I think I think there's something to come from him for sure. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited by him too. Um, yeah, I, I I think there's good signs for sure. Um, mm. We need to talk in some detail about Ndombele, and Nathan's already touched on the fact that he was playing as an eight. It's something we've um, I would say almost campaigned for 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 quite some time. We really wanted to see him play in this deep role because we feel that's his best position and. Uh, the response has been that actually it was his choice. He was the one that was pushing to play as a 10. He was the one that wanted to play higher up the pitch and be the sort of creative spark. But again, I want to bear in mind that this is Sheffield United. They're very bad. Their midfield was absolutely terrible. They were missing Sander Burge, who's clearly their best midfielder and their best player. Um, but the signs were really good. I mean, he did everything in midfield that you want him to do. He, he's so calm in possession. You can give him the ball in literally any situation and you don't feel nervous he's going to lose it. And more often than not, he won't just not lose it. He'll he'll swivel out of trouble and then create something. He's so good. Um, Nathan, do you think this is something we'll see going forward now? Now that sort of Mourinho's broken in the idea of Ndombele as an eight, do you, do you think hmm. this is something we might see again? It's been it's been a really uh, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. So obviously on this podcast we've been saying for a while, uh, you know, why isn't he playing number eight? He should be playing number eight. We want him deep. We want him earlier in the build up, etc. Um, and he was playing number ten, uh, you know, this season. Um, and then it came out. I can't remember who. Sorry, but a French. It came out via a French journalist, and then was you know copy pasted over to us <laughs> through Google Translate that that Ndombele sees himself as a number ten and wants to be number ten. And at first off, always with these things, it's like uh, these things can go through not just like language translation, but like insider through the agent, etc., etc. So what might be um, Ndombele wants to play number ten is actually well. Something like Mourinho had a sit down with Ndombele and he said, look, I've got two attacking fullbacks now. So the way I want to sit up is with a, an out and out number six and a really defensively focused number eight who I don't want getting into the final thirds and a number 10 who's allowed to drop deep. So given those options, which you prefer, and then, and then the way that it comes out is Ndombele sees himself as a number 10, right? Very speculative, but you get the idea how like we took it at face value because that was the simplest way to interpret it. All of that aside, Mourinho did a bit of a... a rant about agents getting involved with this kind of information after the game and talked about you know the best players can play everywhere which is true to an extent but not an absolute extent i tweeted through this so i don't need to go over it again um which makes me think that like maybe that was complete just nonsense going through his agent and he doesn't want to play there and he can he's happy to play wherever or wherever else so now it's all back up in the air again i prefer him as number eight um, but what I prefer more than that is for him to be happy and him to be on the pitch and him to be in Mourinho's mm. good books, etc. So yes, I want to see him. I want to see him earlier in build up. I want to see us playing through him. I want to see him on the ball lots and lots and lots. And I don't know if you noticed. I don't know if this stood out to you at all. I don't know if you have much recollection of this. But that despite playing in a deep role, there was actually a moment where he broke into the opposition box and scored the most ridiculous goal I've ever seen in my life. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely insane. I mean, the the pass from Bergvine was a good mm. pass, but it made me mm. think, oh, he's putting Dombley into an area where he might like square up the defenders <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, and then yeah. roll it back to Bergvine. Well, you know, it's something like that, something of that nature, or he might kind of turn out and win a corner. I don't know. Uh, but what he actually did was facing away from goal. Mm somehow delicately immaculately lob the ball over ramsdale making ramsdale look utterly stupid it, it kind of bounces in off the post 
almost like it couldn't have been positioned any more perfectly in the goal. It was just it was gorgeous. It was really gorgeous. There's a there's a wonderful photo uh, taken. I, God knows what angle it is, but it's facing and Don Blair. He's he's sort of squatting. He's squatting with one leg up and out, <laughs> like he's doing some sort of Cossack dance. Um, pistol squat, and it is, mate. Sorry, a pistol squat. Come on, pistol squat. There you go. There you go. For, for, for all you uh, for all you gym boys out there. <laughs> God, I don't know what what are they even call these gym people. I want you to keep guessing. Um, uh, no, I, I'm going to embarrass myself even further. I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> For all you muscle heads. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, extraordinary, extraordinary finish. I don't think any other player in our squad could have scored that goal. Any any, uh, any thoughts, Bardi? Could, do you think anyone, could anyone in the Premier League have scored that goal other than Tonki and Dombele? It was it was pure inspiration. It was it's, it's something that just there's certain players that can just do something with a flick. Like Ibrahimovic, you, you could see him score that goal because great shout. Yeah, it's just something that he will do, and it's not something that you can plan. It's just I have an idea what I'm going to do. I'm going to put the ball in this area because I think it might go in, and then just have the the talent and the control to be able to do it. It, it was a lovely goal, and I, he was excellent in in the eight position. And I, I have yeah, it just gives me gives me hope for the future that if we can get him deeper linking in with Kane you could still see that he's I think he's a bit too smart sometimes for even Kane he he puts the ball where Kane should be or where another individual should be and they're not there and sometimes it looks like he's giving it away but he's he's an exceptional player and and I'm not sure he's getting the credit he deserves for that goal I didn't watch match of the day and I I can't stand Sky so I don't know how big they went on it but um, it was a beautiful goal. They didn't go that big because United versus Liverpool was up next, so they had to quickly move on to Red uh, Sunday, obviously. Um, <laughs> there was, there's, I don't know if it's very popular anymore. I'm not really uh, much in touch with Christian circles, but they used to uh, there used to be a big fuss about what would Jesus do, right? They were like they'd wear bands, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? So my question is, in that situation, if there's no one else in the squad who would do that, what would Kane do? Kane would have um, cut stopped and cut back he would have cut back onto his right foot and did a a, a quick one-time Curly. strike yeah yeah i thought i thought he was quite wasteful on um on sunday didn't think he had the greatest of games i thought mm. he could have he really could have put sheffield united to the sword and i i think i think him and kate him and son are both in a, in a weird little bit of a funk at the moment yeah get but, him out of um, my club yeah, sell him. We should have sold. We should sell him now when the stock is high. But I don't think it's too bad if we've got other players chipping in. It's quite. It's quite nice to. I mean, Kane still managed to score. I mean, even when he doesn't play great, he's still he's got two <laughs> a really good two. goal. A goal that we would yeah. be talking about if Ndombele didn't score something ten times as better. It's unfortunate that when Kane does that, when he cuts inside on his right foot and then just doesn't blast it, doesn't just puts it in the net. It's like um, when you see them warm up before the game, he's just putting it there, putting it there. And I think that the brilliance of Kane is he does hit every ball as if he's in a warm-up, that he's just got such, such conviction and he knows mm. where to put the ball to score that there's no like razzmatazz to it. No. There's no there's no sparkle. It's just like, I put it into this space here. It doesn't even need to be in the corner because I've done the goalkeeper with um, by shooting around the player. 
Other players don't really score that goal, do they? I'm trying. I guess Messi might do the left footed alternative, but like other players, they absolutely smash it from that distance. They really feel mm-hmm. that they need to like soundly beat the keeper with with speed and movement and everything else. And yeah, yeah as you say, Kane slots in from outside the box, and other players just don't hit that strike at all. Yeah, the, the goal he scored against um, Kepa uh, at Wembley mm. when we beat Chelsea was exactly the same. That. He just put it there. It, it didn't need. Yeah, it it didn't need the the parsley sprinkled on top of it. It was just pum a steak. Nicely done, steak. <laughs> there you go. Have it. Big fan. It was a really interesting goal that Kane goal from start to finish. So it starts off with Sheffield United giving the ball away. I think it's Ollie Norwood who had a really poor match. I, I don't think he's a bad player per se, but um, he's he's not having a good season. He had a poor match. Uh, he took a heavy touch. And uh, Pierre-Emile Hoybier had absolutely charged upfield, anticipated mm. potentially a poor touch, or maybe he was just trying to shut down the passing options for Norwood. And I believe that Hoybier wouldn't have done that normally, because if, if Norwood takes a good touch, he can pass around him and suddenly they've broken that line and they're, and they're against uh, our back line. But... With the back three in place, I think it gives Joybier a little bit more security to go and do that kind of thing, to go and sort of hunt down the ball. Um, and he did a great job, obviously, ends up at the feet of Kane. And then Kane's like, he just, he meant business as soon as he picked up the ball. He was kind of like, um, he's like Richard Ashcroft in in that Verve video where he's walking down the street and smashing people <laughs> with his shoulders. He's like, no one's, no one's getting this ball off me. I'm just busting my way through you. And then I'm just going to pop it in the bottom corner and off I go to celebrate social, socially distance celebration time. Um, yeah, really, really impressive. Really impressive. Um, I think you've sort of already touched on this a little bit, Nathan. But you said that we played pretty well against Sheff- Sheffield United. Mm. But how did you think we played on the whole? I thought we did okay. I I thought the commentary, as, as they like to do, was talking about how we were conceding possession and dropping deeper. I thought Sheffield United pushed us a little bit I still think we had chances in in those in that window to to properly bury the game we didn't they whipped the ball in and um as what happens occasionally Dyer watches it and Davies watches it and no one watches the man and McGoldrick managed to get his head on it um but other than that I don't think I don't think we were ever really in trouble it was just a, it was just a ball whipped into the box that we should have defended better hmm. yeah I don't think we were ever in trouble I agree with that um so, so here's where I'm coming from with this one. I, I feel like, and we haven't spoken about Fulham yet, we need to talk about Fulham. There's there's plenty to say on that game too. I feel like of the four halves we've seen, Fulham first half, second half, Sheffield United first half, second half, I thought the best of all four was the Fulham first half. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Quite comfortably, to be honest. Um, and, and once again, the sort of the result skews how you come away feeling about the game because we drew that game against Fulham and, you know, it's a disappointing draw because we looked good in the first half and then sort of sat back and, and they scored. Whereas against Sheffield United, we come away feeling happy because we've won. But actually, have we have we really create have we really done much? Um, and I guess the data sort of supports that because the expected goals show us to be to have been better against Fulham than against Sheffield United. But once again, we know that the game state is is all important there. And perhaps if we needed another goal, then that might have been a different story. And I definitely felt like we had another gear or two to go into. But maybe that's what I'm getting at. I, I just didn't feel like we were in those gears. I felt like we were, once again, playing with the handbrake on. There was quite limited creativity against Sheffield United. And we end up scoring a set-piece goal, which, you know, very pleased to see another set-piece go in, shows there's, there's work happening. But we scored a set-piece goal, two individual pieces of brilliance. 
Um, and I just really want to see us just click as an attacking unit and just absolutely drub one of these teams, particularly yeah. someone like Sheffield, who are really awful, really, really poor. Um, I just want to see us just go. Just, you know, give us some signs. Give us something to hang on to for the rest of the season. I think, I don't know if you saw um, Guardiola talking pre-match and he made a good point. Just look around the Premier League. Nobody's really drubbing anyone at the moment. The team, it's become very attritional. You you can mm. see that that there's there's not much flair happening. People are just getting through these games, getting three points. And yes, we sh- we should we should have buried Fulham early. It didn't happen, and they came back into the game. But I think they deserve credit because more than that, I thought they played pretty well. I I was very impressed with um, Angisa. I, th- I thought his I thought he was good. I thought Fulham gave it a good go, and they deserved their point. But we should have we should have been clear. But no one's smacking anybody at the moment. Liverpool can't score a goal. Football is weird at the moment, and we're st- we're still in there. We're still digging away, and we're doing okay. We should have beaten Fulham, but we're doing okay, man. So let's get into Fulham. Um, I, I think Fulham are good, actually. I think they're, they're like I think Scott Parker's doing a really good job. They they signed players quite late, didn't they? Which mm-hmm. which has probably hindered them a little bit in that they're still they're still bedding in. They're still getting used to um, their new signings. They're still adjusting to the Premier League, uh, and, and they're suffered at the start of the season, perhaps for that. But they're not a bad team at all. We played really well in the first half. I thought we we were pretty creative. We we largely kept them at arm's length, and we put together some good good moves, particularly ending with some good crosses. Aurier put in a couple of really useful uh, crosses, low balls. Um, and had we gone in, say, two or three up, I might be saying that's the best performance yeah. for, for, for a good few months. Um, Nathan, what were your thoughts on the Fulham match? Oh, I mean, I, I, don't, I think it was still one, you know, one of our best performances for, for months, that first half, at least going back to United. Um, yeah, so Fulham defend in uh, medium block with what is a relatively high defensive line for the point at which they engage with their pressing from the forwards mm, mm. and they defend narrowly, right? So the space and where they're inviting you to play to is to your fullbacks because then they can invite you to cross because they're pretty comfortable getting rid of crosses or they can close down your fullback from the position they're in out wide. So our plan was tuck our wingers in narrow, place Sosoko as one of the wingers for defensive cover um, and invite both our fullbacks to essentially be wingbacks uh, and play to them and then cross early, cross immediately with them. Don't dally on the ball with them, don't pass back and get stuck stuck on one side. Play to them, play through to them so they are behind the defensive line or at least on part of the defensive line and cross early. Um, really smart setup, a specified setup. Here's how the opposition defends, therefore here's how we're going to set up. Mourinho 101, really smart stuff. Um, yeah, and just getting the best out of Aurea and getting the best out of Regulon, getting that goal getting a couple of chances the issue obviously is, is how we approach the second half um this ties into the to the Sheffield United game obviously um it's not like we um you know completely surrendered the ball it's not like we sat back and looked at the counter we attempted to contest the ball with Fulham at least to a certain extent but we didn't we didn't win in that department we we weren't the better team in terms of fighting over possession in the second half we were we didn't mind being second because that meant we could counter except that we didn't counter that well and we struggled a little bit with Fulham's ability on the ball it wasn't terrible I don't get the impression that we completely crumbled it was probably a better 
better in terms of actual performance than than like the Palace game, for example. But it's probably more frustrating than that because by that point it it, it very much developed into a pattern of Spurs play well in the first half, they come out in the second half and look like a different team and concede a late equaliser. Um, so you you get that great sense of frustration. And then leading up to the Sheffield United game was the the talk about this this trend. Uh, and Mourinho said, look, at halftime, I told them to attack. At halftime, I told them to possess the ball. And we talked about this before. I talked about this after the Paris game that, OK, maybe he's not telling them to park the bus, but you don't need to, to do that to do that. There are other ways. I'm not going to go into all of that again. That's a whole long-winded, complicated thing. But... um. We had more shots in the second half against Sheffield United than we did in the first. It wasn't a huge number. We had eight in the second half. We had six in the first half. And yes, again, we can sit here and we can say, oh, Sheffield United are the worst team in the league. Of course, But that's how you establish those patterns. You go out, you do it when it's easy. You build that mentality. Because again, if we're saying, if we're saying that Mourinho tells them to attack in the second half, but they feel like they shouldn't because of other reasons... Right, because of previous performances, if the success from the City, the Chelsea, the Arsenal game have uh, built in this sort of unconscious um, hesitancy to have the ball, then the way you reverse that is by attacking in the second half against Sheffield United. So I'm a little more optimistic going forward about um, our ability to sustain pressure um, against sides who we only have a single goal advantage over. Interesting. I, I mean, I'm a little more down on the Fulham second half than you are, I think. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like, I mean, Mourinho nearly got his way, if I'm honest. He nearly got his way because what he would have wanted is to just be resilient, see out the half, just be sensible and pounce on any mistakes. And we nearly did that. So Aina slipped and then mm. Dombele played a ball in behind him and Son hit the post. Yeah. And it was, you know, it's 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 what Spurs fans would classify as a one-on-one, but in actual fact, it's a fairly low percentage chance for Sonny. You know, he's coming at an angle. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot to do. It's not an easy chance, and he hits the post. In other games, he's been scoring those, and we've kind of we've we've ridden that wave. This time, he didn't. All that said, it could have been so much worse when Camera was through on like 88 minutes. They had a 2v1 at the back, and thank goodness he didn't get his head up. And then not long before that, Lookman had just overhit the pass to Loftus-Cheek, and he had a shot from an angle. It really, I mean, that would have been quite the punishment. It would have felt very unfair, but, you know, it was close to happening. It nearly happened, um, and I was quite down after that that Fulham second half, having been so good in the first half. Um, and I sort of felt like... <laughs> And this sounds really pessimistic. I don't mean for it to be pessimistic because we got a result. But I sort of felt like Sheffield United was a bit of a continuation of that Fulham second half. I was quite disappointed generally. Um, I don't know. Maybe, hopefully it's a middle ground. Hopefully hopefully I'm just being way too pessimistic and actually everything's fine and we'll go on to crush Wickham and give Liverpool a good game and everything's fine in the world. But I'm still not yet convinced that we're a good team. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not convinced. I need more. I think we've got some great players. I think Ndombele is sensational, but I want to see more before I'm um, before I'm fully convinced of this team. Buddy, anything to add? Uh, what what disappointed me about the Fulham game wasn't so much how we played because that's that's just what we do. It was the substitutions after they scored. I think we. Yeah. I think I don't think Jose panics often, but I think he panicked there and. That the substitutions were weird. We lost all kind of control, and the game descended into this: you punch, we punch, you punch, mm. we punch, and it's never good. And when they put on Kamara, who's fast and strong, and he can really cause issues with us as we're pushing for a winner, 
it looks bad. So we we gave up we gave up control there, which is something that you wouldn't see from other managers. They would just keep playing how they're playing. Um, I don't think it was the right decision to put on Lamella. I don't. I definitely don't think it was the right decision to take off Endombele. Uh, um, yeah. At least Winks offers some kind of structure from which you can build upon, and Endombele is a brilliant footballer who can do stuff like we saw against Sheffield United. Um, it would have been better to see Ali, but that's not an option at the moment for Spurs. So I think we panicked a little bit. I don't think we needed to make that substitution. I don't think Fulham were that great. They... Lookman did an, an insane run, whipped in a, a Hail Mary of a cross and Carriero just rose and just smacked it in. That's an incredible goal. But it's not like, it wasn't like, you know, I suppose, it, what I mean is it wasn't something that came from sustained pressure. It was something that we saw coming because we've given away so many leads and it was something that we felt inside us. But yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure it was a goal that you saw coming after sustained amounts of pressure. Um, uh, Nathan agree with me there so it's, it's something that I just feel something, when you look at Man City they're pushing they're going that way going that way you go, oh, okay they're going to score here because Aurier is going to get doubled up on and they're going to cut it in this was Lookman who came on and just got away from Sanchez and crossed it in the ball and our defenders all watched it land on the head of Caballero so I'm not too down about I'm down about the result but I'm not too down about the performance it, it's one of those games that happen mm. so something interesting came up in this game um, Josh Onoma is that it? <laughs> oh yeah, no, I mean, nice to see, nice to see, always nice to see Josh Onoma play, uh, particularly against Spurs. Um, but no, oh, I'm I'm just going to throw this one at you, Nathan. We haven't planned this at all. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, so Spurs had a high-quality chance which wasn't called offside because of the way we are with offside now. Mm-hmm. But had it gone in, would have been called offside. Probably. And and that is included, of course, in the expected goals calculation. Uh, do you think there's anything, any sort of future reimagining of how XG is calculated, Nathan, that might take that into account? Um, I mean, essentially, uh, as it stands, we go by the official decision. Right, you mm-hmm. you you don't override the referee as the guy who counts the numbers. Um, so officially, that shot wasn't offside because it wasn't called as offside. Um, what we would need, we as if I'm in any way involved in it, and not just a guy who <laughs> references it sometimes. What uh, what coders and analytical people would need is for like 
after every game, the referee commissions comes out with the decisions that we would have made would it have been necessary huh. for us to make them, which is just not going to happen uh, any time ever. So I don't know. It's a difficult one. Uh, the the whole point of like making things numerical is to make them as objective as possible and yeah. and 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 remove as much subjectivity as you possibly can if it comes down to you know the person the 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 person making minimum wage frankly coding far too much football it's a horrible horrible job um and it's an issue within football but if if it comes down to the the person who codes the placement of the shots watching y scout um and they have to make the assessment as to whether or not they think firstly it was offside and secondly that it would have been called offside if it was necessary mm-hmm. to do so it gets into pretty dangerous territory this is the, the 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 much easier argument for me to make is well this is why you shouldn't look at single game xg it's sort of you know worry more about the course of a season etc but that's not really i like using single games so i, I can't make the argument basically <laughs> but that, that's why that I, that's why i should <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, in in the, in the data now, teams have have held a good offside line. They've defensively done their job, and yet uh, the data is sort of showing against them. Um, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see if there's any sort of developments in that area. If there's any uh, decision adjusted expected goals, <laughs> I, I feel like it's something that could happen. I don't know. Um, Nathan, I've just got to say, you know, when you when you did that whole this is this has been playing on my mind for a few minutes now. When you did that whole what would Jesus do thing, <laughs> I, I really thought you were gonna say uh, what would Gabriel Jesus do? <laughs> 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 I, I, I I've been I've been going over it in my head ever since you said I was gonna say it at the time, but then Bardi went on to talk about something else and the subject got changed, but uh yeah. And, and obviously my answer would have been just smashed it into the stands. Yeah, of course. Such a bad, bad forward. He's he's he's, so, he's regressed. You remember when he his debut against us when um the what was it a two two game where mm-hmm. um he he had the goal disallowed and he came on and he moved like a like a little baby tiger shark. He was insane and he just like for the next year I was convinced that this guy was just going to do all kinds of numbers, but he's just regressed and got worse and worse and worse. And uh, yeah, he Vinicius is better than Gabriel Jesus. We're not playing them anytime soon. No, I can say that. We're fine. <laughs> While we're talking about Man City players, fuck anyone who has John Stones in their fantasy team. Honestly, I mean, clearly you, you've been too clever and annoyingly you've been rewarded for it. Normally be, you'd be punished for a decision like that. But no, he goes and scores his first two Premier League goals in God knows how long. It's, it's sickening. Absolutely sickening. He's quite tall. Uh, Mm. I think they were coming, mate. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> they absolutely were not coming. So I picked Cancelo, which is obviously the better pick because of his involvement in, in build-up play recently. And then he didn't even play. Thank you, Pep Guardiola. Yeah, you shouldn't pick City players because they rotate too much as a football club, I'm afraid. Mm. That's yeah. a mistake you've made. So there is something there. Um, question from Greg Peth. Greg says, do Tottenham have a height issue? Keeping in mind the way we defend set pieces and the fact that anytime you hear the phrase Jose type player, it's followed by big and strong. The decision to play Sissoko against Fulham is still bothering me. And now I'm thinking maybe they wanted height to defend set pieces against Fulham centre-backs. Is this something to be concerned about or am I overthinking? Um, I mean, to add to that, we, we've already mentioned issues from crosses. Um, 
we, we, we sort of touched on the Sheffield United goal where Dyer was caught between... It was, Dyer was caught under the ball and Ben Davies didn't cover around. He didn't spot danger and cover around well enough. Um, I'm not convinced that the, the we've got this huge problem with crosses, to be honest. I think it's it's showing up more because we're very good at defending in open play and the ball gets sort of shuttled out wide a lot. And so we're probably defending as a proportion of the types of dangerous situations we're defending, more of them are crosses. Uh, I, I can't back that up with any data. It's not something I've looked into, but that's my that's my gut feel. And I feel like it's been slightly over-exaggerated as a result. But what we do know is that Dyer doesn't get off the ground particularly well. You know, he's a big, strong man, but he doesn't get off the ground particularly well. Ben Davis isn't the biggest chap in the world. Uh, and Alderweireld Burrell isn't the biggest chap in the world and, and loses his fair share of headers. So there is there is something there. Uh, but, Bardi, do you think we do have a height issue? And could that be one of the reasons why Sissoko played against Fulham? Um, I don't know. I mean, Lucas, for all his faults, does is pretty good in the air. He's pretty solid in the air. Um, I think I think it's a combination, perhaps, of Dyer being our lead centre back and being a little bit faulty, and perhaps as well in in Hugo, who is who is starting to live closer and closer to his line the older he gets. He is. Um, he, he he's doing incredible numbers in terms of shots, uh, shot saves percentage. So he's making a lot of good saves, but um, he's he yeah, he's not the most proactive of goalkeepers. So I think I think it's a, I think it's a little bit of a mix of both, and the fact that our defence do like to drop deep when um, when the opposition has it in those kind of wide areas. I think it's a little bit of everything, and yeah, personally, and probably down a lots of personnel issues, goalkeeper and lead centre back, like um. For example, lead centre back for Liverpool would be Van Dijk. Van Dijk very rarely, when when he was in his good run of form, he very rarely got caught under the ball. He would just get, he would just be there. And then behind him, you have Allison, one of the best goalkeepers in the world. So I think a lot of it is personnel. Mm-hmm. And Nathan, you you've already mentioned um, the Sissoko selection being a sort of uh, a, a tactical selection. Uh, there was absolute fury when he was announced on the team sheet as playing <laughs> right wing. What did you make of it? Like, as as in a kind of literally just Sissoko's playing right wing. What was your initial thought there? Yeah, frustration, obviously. Um, and I've, I've I've praised our approach in the first half against Fulham. Um, I think that Bergvine is defensively sound enough to have performed that role. I mean, essentially, Sissoko was playing something like you know uh, to be like wanky about it like a false fallback role to allow Aurea mm-hmm. to play on the wing right um, so yeah considering how well we played in that first half against Fulham the way that we set up for that particular ploy it was a smart move and while you don't like seeing Sissoko at right wing on the team sheet that's not really the role that he performed uh, the problem for me is that we didn't then change that up for like what till the final 10 minutes do you know when Sissoko came off I, I think that's something that we could well have changed at half time frankly um, so I don't hate it as an idea because it enabled us to produce some smart football in the first half. The problem was sticking with it for another half an hour plus after that. All of uh, Fulham's attacks in the second half came down that side. I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating. But it wasn't all of them, but it felt to me like their, their main threat came down that side. Um, um, I just re- I just rewatched the McGoldrick goal, and <laughs> you could see from the throw in that the ball comes back, and you, you watch Eric Dyer, our, our leader, <laughs> run forward, push it. Come on, lads, let's get up. No one else gets up. Davies stays back, and then all of a sudden, Dyer's now having to go back as the cross is coming in. So maybe I'm a little bit unfair there on Dyer, but um, 
I think uh, yeah, Davies properly left him hang- left him hanging there. So if you go back and watch it, you can see Dyer. He's got he's got the right idea, but he just doesn't have the left sided centre back who's who trusts him or is able to follow the, the run up to to catch him offside. So yeah, I, I put it down on Davies. I, I apologise to Dyer. Uh, you've already mentioned um, Lucas and Bergvine in passing. We had a question on the Discord server from Adam TDM. Adam said, why is Bergvine being picked over Lucas and Bale? Does it simply come down to work rate or am I simplifying that too much? So in response to that, Will on the Discord server puts uh, retaining possession, decision making and build up, off ball movement, final ball, work rate, young. Yep. And this goes on and on. He's a superb mm. player. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I completely agree with Will, to be honest. I, I think Bergvine's really good. I don't think Lucas is great. Uh, Bale is seemingly not quite fit yet. Um, but what's interesting, Bardi, is that Mourinho seems to have really changed his stance on Lucas because he was a big favourite early on. Yeah, just I think I think if you start to realise that Lucas isn't any good, what everything that he liked about Lucas, Bergwijn can do and then do things better as well. There was the first time in in a long time Hugo's um, distribution from the back was incredible. Um, Bergwijn picked it up with his first touch was wonderful, and it was we were through on a counter until he got hacked down. And that's just something that Bergwijn's got. He's got he's got a little bit of everything, and I just think he needs just needs maybe a little bit of luck or just a little bit more confidence before he can really explode. I think I think he's a really good player. I wonder if there's any chance that Lucas gets sold in this window. I mean, he's he's probably one of the more expendable members of the squad who's actually got some transfer value. And if we need to create a squad players, that that might be one option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's about interest, isn't it? It's about I I think we would be open. I imagine we would be open to selling. In terms of like yeah, so when Mourinho first came into the club, he well not straight away. Oh no, literally straight away. First game, he was playing Lucas quite a bit, and I think that that was. I wasn't happy with it, but I think a lot of the reasoning was that like we were tired and demotivated and everything else, and Lucas was going to run. He's going to run around, and I think that we've kind of we got through the phase. We've got over that. Everyone's running now. Bergvine's running now. You know, so you don't. You know, Lucas is great because he runs, but then he just he runs into a centre back mm. head down. You know, um, so I don't think. I mean, actually, no. I was going to say I don't think Mourinho is unaware of Lucas's habits, but as I've talked about before, I think a lot of coaches see Lucas and see his attributes and say, "Wow, mm. there's so much raw talent in this player. If I can just yeah. help him with his decision making, and then they try <laughs> for a year and they go, oh, okay, he's still doing the same thing he was a year ago. I'll I'll play Bergvine now instead.' So turns out he is still Nathan Redmond after all. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, let's um. Let's tweet out some Lucas Mora hype videos and and uh, get some clubs interested in buying him. So we might see a bit of Lucas over the coming couple of weeks because we've got five games in 13 days. Um, really, really <laughs> hectic hell. schedule. Yeah, so we've got uh, Wickham next Monday, Liverpool on the Thursday, Brighton on the Sunday, Chelsea on the Wednesday and West Brom on the Saturday. I mean, West Brom are the last team you want to be playing Mm. when you've just had a really hectic schedule against some good teams, to be honest. Um, And it's, and it's Sam Allardyce's West Brom as well. So like double whammy. Um, There's going to have to be some rotation body. And it's, it's something that Mourinho has been sort of reticent to do, except in the Europa League. 
Mm. Uh, but how do you think he manages this? Presumably Wickham will be a, a slightly rotated squad. Yeah, Wickham will be total, totally different starting eleven. We'll we'll see everybody in this game. Bale, Delhi, Lucas. You Joe think? Hart. I mean, Wickham yeah. aren't. They're terrible. Windy. They're bottom of the championship, aren't they? I've, I've statistically they can't do more than two passes. Yeah, they don't pass the ball very well. But <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think you could do. I, I don't think Mourinho will do full rotation against the championship team because he he really wants a cup. Um, I I don't know what the the rule is on yellow cards. Have, have, if I heard of yellow cards changed now in terms of suspension in the FA Cup and Premier League because Hjoiberg is close to a suspension. Oh, um, um, I don't know because um, Doherty got sent off in the league, but then he played, didn't he, against Marine? So maybe they've changed. Yellow, yellow cards is uh, yellow card accumulation, I believe, is only in the competition in which it happens. So, Premier, so if, if okay. Hjoiberg got booked against Liverpool, I presume he'd miss. Brighton. Okay, fine. So um, I will will rotate one hundred percent. We'll rotate. Look at that 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 um that's a runner game. So he will rotate one hundred percent. We'll see a brand new team. Mm. Really interested to see how he manages this one. It's um it's not easy. And as ever, it makes me completely fearful for Kane and Son's hamstrings. Um, and Huibier's hamstrings, frankly. Yeah, but I mean, now we've seen Roden involved, there's a bit more scope yeah. for us. There's, there's another mm-hmm. player that we can hopefully use and rely upon. Um, the Celso hopefully will be back for, for a couple of the games. That's another player coming in. Although we're losing Denny, I suppose. Um, so while we're talking about the squad, Mohamed Serti asked about uh, future squad planning. And really his, his message, his email was around um, Vinicius and whether we might want to hang on to Vinicius. He says, is it not better to, to take up the Vinicius option, keep Baird around for a second year as a Kane replacement option, whilst further blooding Parrot on loan and Scarlet in the reserves? In that way, come the 22-23 season, we'll have we'll say goodbye to Gareth Bale, and we'd have a mature Kane backed by a Reggie Parrot and a more seasoned Dane Scarlet as our striker complement. And what do you think? I mean, I'm intrigued to get both of your thoughts. Vinicius has got... Uh, a, a agreed fee of something like 45 million as i understand it it feels like a lot but do you think there's any value there nathan uh, yes and no i like vinicius i think he's good i'm impressed with how he played uh in portugal he's largely been good when he has played for us but he's not played for us enough and whether that is down to Kane's stubbornness whether that is down to uh, Mourinho's decision-making and his reliance on Kane, or whether that is down to how Vinicius is trained. One way or another, he's just not getting on the pitch enough, you know? I think that if he if he gets more minutes, if he gets more game time, he can prove his worth. But while he's not doing that, £45 million is a lot of money yeah. when Parrot is, you know, maybe going to have a good second-half championship loan or be moved about somewhere else or whatever, and we've got these other options, and we should probably give Bale a go up front because he can't run down the wing anymore. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, I don't... Uh, Mohammed makes a lot of really strong... He writes a long message. He makes a lot of really strong points. And then he ends on the suggestion that we stay as we are at, at great expense. And I don't really agree with that. I think that that's a lot of money to, again, sit still when things aren't right, when Kane is still playing too much football. Um Oh, yeah, uh, I uh, I want to I want to see Parrot become at least third choice in the squad, you know, and and see some minutes. 
That's the best case scenario, isn't it? That Parrot, whether it be for Millwall or whether he be, it gets recorded and goes elsewhere, that he just explodes in the second half of the season. The first half's been massively disrupted by injury to him and then Millwall being a terrible side and Parrot playing out the left. And yeah, I, I just think he needs a, a proper run of games where he can get his confidence back and score some goals. And then it adds another dynamic to our offensive options for for the future. Um, Scarlett's very promising, but obviously it's a 16-year-old. Like, it's way too young to be banking on him. Parrot could definitely have played the minutes that Vinicius has played this season. You know? For sure. No yeah. doubt. No he doubt. Could, he could get a hatchet against Marine. I've got that much confidence in him, at least. Yeah. So at the moment, it just seems that there's there's no point. This this and like I think it was smart to do like a, a loan with an option for Vinicius and Monitor Parrot, but so far it's just it's not going. It's not mm. making me want to continue down this path. Essentially, uh, again at great expense to our to our budget over the next window. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A question from Ollie Connors. Always good to hear from Ollie. He says, I remember chat before that Windy is from near Wickham, making our FA Cup fourth round tie unofficially the Windy Derby. Who would the other hosts have Spurs play for the Bardi Derby and the Nathan A. Clark Derby? Bardi, what would be your what would be your Spurs Derby? I think it would be probably um Fiorentina Tottenham would be a Lombardi household derby. We've seen it a few times in the last ten years or so mm. where we my dad's team against against Tottenham, against my team, obviously. Fiorentina's a club that I, I do have a soft spot for. So, yeah, probably that game. Nice. How about you, Nathan? Well, I live in a crappy little village called Hookwoods. <laughs> I'm essentially giving my address away because about seven <laughs> people live in Hookwoods, uh, which is next to a town called Hawley. Hawley has a, um, a football... Hawley Town Football Club is in the tier below Marine. Um, <laughs> and I'm fairly close to Crawley, who are my nearest league football club who recently beat Leeds. Uh, but... My heart belongs to. I went to uni um, in Brighton, um, and I I like to keep an eye on BHAFC. Um, I like the football that they're playing. Certainly at the moment, I like what they've been doing over the last few years. Um, so yes, we regularly play the Nathan Nay Clark Derby. Um, it's it's never like a high. I'm never cheering on Brighton um, when they play against Spurs, but I do have a fondness for both the city and the team. I I also have a fondness for Brighton. Um... For no real reason, but my my cricket team is um, Sussex, and that's just because that's the team my dad picked when he was a kid, and so he grew up supporting Sussex. So I grew up supporting Sussex, and yeah, um, Brighton's the the nearest football club. So I used to spend a lot of time down there, and I, I grew quite an affection for Brighton too. Um, yeah, Wickham. I, I do like Wickham. My nearest club was Watford, but uh, I, I did. I've been to Wickham a few times because go on, buddy. Why? Is it one of your mates, best mates from there, isn't it? Your real you best go. mate, there not the go. one that you use just to sell X sub subscriptions. Me, but your actual real best friend. <laughs> My actual real life best friend is a <laughs> season ticket holder. Yeah, that's right. I used to live uh, two hundred yards down the road from Sussex Cricket Ground, and I could see their fireworks show out my window in my flat. I never Amazing. went. I don't have any interest in cricket, but <laughs> there you go. I could look so, at it. So, um, my parents used to own a flat overlooking the county ground in Ho. So, I wonder if uh, it was the same block. Um, I lived on Highfield Road in Coventry when I went to uni there. That was the closest I've ever lived to a stadium. It was just around the corner. So I, I did grow fond of Coventry. I did go and watch the um, Spurs under-23s or the Spurs reserves, whatever they were back then, play a few times. Um, went to see Coventry a few times. It was when they had um, Hadji and the other Moroccan chap. They, they, they had two, they, there was yes, two Moroccans. I know who you mean. 
Yeah, they had, Mustafa, Haji, and oh was, gosh, what was the other one wasn't quite as as bombastic. He was but a they central had, midfielder, wasn't he? Yeah, they had like a storm. Cheapo, Yusuf Cheapo. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they had a storm in World Cup, and Coventry signed them. So I remember going to watch those two and Robbie Keane play for Coventry as well. So I was quite fond. I was, still, I'm kind of quite fond of Coventry as well. Nice. I've just I've just reminded myself that my dad, bless him, had ground plans. So he, so they um my dad had his own business and they they always planned to to stretch themselves financially and and buy this flat in Brighton so that dad could go down and watch the cricket. <laughs> and then the idea was that when when he retired and he had enough money to get by he could spend some of his time living in that flat watching sussex games uh, and then the financial crisis hit and like they had to sell the flat to keep the business afloat and it was really sad bless him all that all that excitement around his retirement just gone up in smoke but uh you know I'm, I'm glad to say that he still does get to sussex every now and again so it hasn't all ended badly Final question. We'll end on this one from Gianni Nico Cinelli. So Gianni says, <laughs> "He got he got the chur. He got the chur this time. I'm impressed. Just about. Just about. <laughs> you not impressed, buddy? No, you did nearly say Ginelli like the ice cream. <laughs> Gino Ginelli. <laughs> that's a, that's a blast from the past. Ruined that was a great advert. Ruined my life. That ice cream. I bet it did. <laughs> Um, Gianni says I think our greatest problem is that we don't have a creator in the team and he goes into some detail but uh, I think it's an interesting talking point particularly in relation to the fact that we're being linked with Christian Eriksen so I mean what do we think Vardy do, do you think we obviously Ndombele is super creative super creative do you think we lack another creative midfielder um, I, it's, I don't I don't Obviously yes, but obviously no. It's 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 one of those you can never not have enough creativity. It'd be great, but I think if we get in Dombelli playing deeper, and it, I I I don't know. Yes and no. I don't. I'm curious to see what you guys say. Yes, of course, it's have it's great to have more creativity, but then you're going to have to change our whole system and how we play. Um, you maybe you have to think about removing Kane and maybe you play with two fast strikers Son and Bergwijn and then you play a number 10 in Kane but then if you do that you're removing Kane's goals but he's already creative enough if you see what I mean it would it would mean that we would have to change everything about our team which is why I don't think we will re-sign Ericsson and I don't think we will add a creative player like that and uh, Mourinho, it would be a new manager who comes in and decides to do that. If you, then uh, perhaps this is why we're not seeing Delhi because Mourinho just doesn't play like that. Do you know what? The more the more time goes on, the more I think we might re-sign Ericsson. <laughs> just because it's convenient, n- not a lot more than that. I think we might loan Delhi and replace him with Ericsson. And, and I think what they would be hoping is he knows the club. He can kind of settle in quickly, hit the ground running type thing. Uh, and do a job in a couple of different positions, namely the number 10 and also wide on the right. I, I think Mourinho would not be averse to using Ericsson in the position that Bergwijn's been playing recently. And I have to say, I'm I'm not against it. <laughs> I'm really not against the idea of Ericsson coming back. I mean, I'm going to be super sad if Delhi goes and Ericsson coming back would, would make things a bit happy for me. I was talking to Harry B about this on the uh, video we did on Sabitzer recently. He talks about um, Sabitzer's uh, abilities and non-abilities to play the sort of Sissoko role 
Um, and we talked about the way that he plays in possession, which we were impressed with. Um, but it's it, it's typical Leipzig. It's super high tempo. It's super direct, which fits with the way that Mourinho wants to play in possession. But again, yeah, as uh, Gianni, I think, very rightly points out, yes, we have the killer ball. We have the final ball. We have the good crossing. But we don't have someone who will dictate the tempo and slow things mm. down at the right time and play just a series of neat passes. I thought Lo Celso mm. was that player, but he's not. Um, he's really not, is he? Yeah, I mean, I thought he was that player, but you don't see him put his foot on the ball very often. Mm. I, I thought I saw more of that from him sort of at, at PSG, um, but maybe I'm, I've just got him wrong. He's quite frantic. So, yeah, I think the, the problem is, as you've already rightly pointed out, is getting a player who is simultaneously that and is also, for the moment, you know, able to do the defensive work that Sissoko does. Someone like, you know, a peak Michael Carrick. <laughs> that would be brilliant for us. Mm. I don't know who is who that is now. Um, I don't know. Calvin are, Phillips? Calvin, yeah, maybe Calvin Phillips. That's not a terrible shout. Uh, he, like, he likes a big... Uh, 80-yard switch, you know, he's, um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. But yeah, we, we could, because again, as I, as I was talking about with Harry, like, we're never going to have that achieved through instruction. We'll never have that achieved through setup and, and tactical approach. That's not going to be anything innate to the way that Tottenham play football under Mourinho. Mm. It has to come from a player who makes that decision. And I just think, yeah, as, again, once again, it's hard to get a player like that into our team at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one player that I'm not interested in getting into our team, linked again today, is Jesse Lingard. Oh my God, if we sign Jesse Lingard, we'll be the absolute laughing stocks of the Premier League. Wouldn't worry about it, mate. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.